uh thank you for joining us tonight uh like i was saying uh before we got started uh, uh i've got some good articles this evening uh and with us tonight is the whole crew we got dan alex uh dave and blunty um so welcome everybody uh let me get my screen shared correctly find the right one oh i gotta make everybody mad in the chat uh-oh uh-oh yeah get everybody <laughs> especially alex all right here we so, go <laughs> uh i thought this was really cool uh apparently fpv has now made it uh the, there's an article uh about fpv racing and specifically the drone racing league uh in the new york times um which is pretty cool um it uh focuses on uh drone racing league min chan kim and uh alex vanover uh, it is a significantly long article, so I am not going to uh, cover it beyond the fact that it exists, uh, and I recommend it's a decent read, um, but holy cow, is it long. So I think I'd probably take up the whole hour if we covered this, but uh, I posted the link down there in the uh, in the chat, so uh, feel free to give it a read. Um, they talk about... Uh, uh min chan and uh calling him mr kim and uh alex <laughs> mr vanover um and go through some of the experiences in drl and their practices um their friends and uh how they got involved and and uh, some of the other things they do like uh filming for music videos motion pictures that kind of stuff so um pretty cool uh but uh yeah i'm not gonna go <laughs> yeah i'd agree with meat when you share those videos of him flying people think it's fake oh, yeah every time you that's see it on like like reddit yeah oh that's sped up that's like three times normal speed like no <laughs> no it's not <laughs> no, i've exactly. seen it live <laughs> <laughs> alex can attest <laughs> even fpv pilots would say it's sped up but uh mm -hmm. other people are yes. just yeah can't it just doesn't compute it doesn't work in their brain that it goes that fast no, when I first saw some of his uh, DVR footage on uh, on YouTube, I was I was just blown away. I was, I mean, I I couldn't even come close to the reflexes that kid's got. So, more props to him uh, or any of those. I mean, Alex would blow me out of the water. So, I mean, not saying Alex is slow. I'm just saying he is much better than I am. Um, all right. So, uh, next is uh. An article, and this is not. This is uh, an article that uh, covers uh, FAA grants a nationwide waiver to Percepto uh, for automated BV lost drone missions. So uh, the, the FAA has granted a nationwide waiver for uh, beyond visual line of sight flights to a drone and a box solution provider for the first time ever. The recipient of this waiver is a, is Israel-based Percepto, whose autonomous inspection platform AIM was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Best Inventions of 2021. The Percepto system can now be operated remotely at qualifying sites across the U.S. from day or the U.S. Wow, uh, from day one. The biggest beneficiaries of the FAA's decisions are expected to be electric utilities, oil and gas companies, solar power stations and mining sites that use drones to detect infrastructure problems. 
they will no longer have to endure the long wait time it takes to secure site-specific BV loss approvals from the FAA. So this is pretty cool. It's it's streamlining the ability to uh, get a drone up in the air, do inspections without having to, you know, sit through the uh, mud slogging of the FAA's uh, waiver approval process, which can take uh, up to 90 days. Right, Alex? Month. Uh, Yep, so, 90 days is the estimated minimum, but depends on the waiver. It could be much longer. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So Percepto is one of six drone manufacturers that were selected by the FAA to sit on a committee looking at rules for BV loss operations last year. Um, uh, the uh, company co-founder and, and CCO, uh, Ariel Avitan is quick to stress that Percepto makes it easier for governments and businesses to implement automated drone operations and at least their true potential of AI-powered inspections. So, let's see. Meet says that's totally not an evil name. <laughs> and one thing I've noticed repeatedly on these more polished platforms is they all seem very fragile. For a drone meant for on-site use by unskilled people, there seems to be like there's a lot of room for ruggedization. I would agree with that. Uh, we're still using uh, uh, thermal plastics here and gummies to isolate the camera. It, it seems uh, uh, a little, little. Uh, well, to get any approval from the FAA, they had to design this drone ten years ago. So it's ancient yep. tech. <laughs> You're not wrong. So uh, pretty cool, and uh, I, I started exploring this. This. Um, FAA granting nationwide waivers. This is maybe the first, but it's one of several that have happened recently. So uh, there's a couple other companies as well as uh, uh, some areas that are have been granted um, immediate use authorization. They don't have to apply for waivers, that kind of thing. So um, pretty interesting. Uh, I apologize. I did not post a link to that article. All right. And uh, also from Drone DJ, um, if you don't know them, they're a really good site for keeping up to date on the news. I do appreciate them and their work. Um, we use them often. We're not affiliated. I just like them. <laughs> um, they do all your hard work for you by <laughs> posting all these articles. Yes. Sometimes, yes. Um, but I like to get in the weeds with some of this stuff too. But uh, DJI, so... Uh, we've covered some of the uh, issues DJI has had with the uh, U.S. government. Uh, they've been put on uh, put on the official Department of Defense blacklist for having close ties to China's military, um, and they have come out with a statement, basically saying we we are not a Chinese military company. Um, and uh, included in the article is their uh, response. Um, they basically go through and say um, they're DJI is not a military company in China, the United States, or anywhere else. We stand ready to formally challenge our inclusion on the list. Um, they are aware of various reports of our drones being modified with attachments that can carry weapons on them. We need to point out we cannot influence how our drones are being used once they leave our control. Uh, more importantly, we have never never enabled these uses or knowingly allowed modifications to weaponize our products. We take regulatory compliance very seriously, and we have emphasized to our distribution network 
that they must block any sale or maintenance to customers that may try and use our drones to cause harm. Um, part of this, uh, you can go on to read the rest of the article. Um, it, it kind of skirts some of the issues of the, what what's happening with the data that's collected. Yeah, I was going to say, if people drones. aren't so worried that they're a military company, that they're a spying company. Exactly. So I, this kind of skirts some of that, but um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, fully on them if they want to challenge that. I, I mean, if I ran a company, I would want to. Nope, there goes Dave. See, I told you, wait five minutes, <laughs> and he'll be right back. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I, I will, I welcome them to challenge that. I, if I ran a company, I would challenge that as well. Um, but it's definitely. You know, it, it, it feels like it's skirting that issue a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason these are being listed like this is because they're in China. Like, and exactly. they're not approved. Like, so it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter any statements they make. It doesn't matter how they feel or what their evidence is or anything they say. Right. They're going to be considered a Chinese military company because of what they do. Like, exactly. it's, I mean, that's just unfortunate, but that's true. I mean, I, no matter what they're doing, whether they're doing anything bad or not, you know, the, the U.S. government feels like the Chinese government can come to them and say, give us your information and do this now. And they will do it. And that means they can't be, you know, they can't be a non-Chinese military company, right. drone company, you know. Totally so. agree. And I think the hard part also is, is that the the amount of electronics that are used in, in drones or any, I mean, computers, oh. electronics, all that stuff, it's all sourced from China. I mean, they're, they're yeah. the world's biggest area. So, I mean, to single out, you know, them specifically makes me wonder what's going to happen towards you know in the in the near future in relation well, to getting you know the the components necessary so yeah i'll say i think that list now is um i think it's like 30 companies or something uh, i uh, believe it's now it maybe says even on more there. yeah it is it's like it's, 50 or 60 now yeah it's a lot so like yeah i don't know i would expect to see any major tech producers like slowly show up on this list if they're producing stuff in china and i think that the difference is like i don't you know, individual components and stuff, you know, we've seen bans from like, um, you know, if you're working for like the national parks or if you're working for the U S government, you know, you can't, you, you know, and you're building a drone, you can't use those components in a drone. Like they have to be sourced from places that are not like, um, those kind of places. So I, I think they're just like trying to skirt it as much as they can, you know, and different factors like, uh, like through different executive orders and then through these, these tranches and stuff, um, through these programs, I would expect that anything Chinese will at some point or another get shut down if it can be by the U.S. government at this point, because that's how they've been operating. Like slowly but surely, they've just been like on the chopping block, cutting through that kind of stuff. And this took a while to get to us, but eventually it did happen. You know, we heard about it back in like a year or two ago, and then they finally got added. So, Right. So definitely interesting. All right. Uh, I'm going to say, well, no, go ahead and do this. So. Um, this was a report that was published. Well, it wasn't published. It was submitted back in, I believe, in July. Um, on uh, It was the FAA's Assure Center of Excellence Advanced Materials and Processes Survey for Advanced Air Mobility and Unmanned Aircraft Systems. So um, if you scroll down to, to right here on, on, on the article, um, you can get a link to the PDF. It's a couple hundred pages long. 
where they cover the different use of uh, materials for advanced air mobility in UAS. Uh, the the hard part for me is they covered, you know, the materials, what companies are using them, why they're using them, um, different different formats, whether it's composites or carbon fibers, thermal plastics, um, and, and the different processes like additive manufacturing, which would essentially be three D printing, um, and their uses. The thing that I wish this report had covered was, uh, um. What's the right word I'm looking for, David? Uh, uh, the uh, crack, like crash ratings or uh, energy uh, impartment during a, a crash uh, kind of studies it doesn't have any of that, um, which is where which is where we start getting into the 250 gram limit and why that's you know obscenely stupid um, and, and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, it doesn't get into any of that, but if you're interested in in some of the materials uh, and you feel like reading through a large technical document, uh, give it a scan. Um, I went through and uh, just you know super scanned it, and uh, it's a lot of technical stuff, a lot of processes, how things are made, uh, kind of stories. So, all right, this is kind of fun. So. This is an edible drone. I was just going to say that Ooh. looks like it's made out of food <laughs> or crackers or cookies it. or something. So do you, so do you is... fly it to somebody that's hungry and then they eat it or what? Well, essentially, yeah. So it can be like a search and rescue kind of tool, right? So oh. if you're out and about and you get stranded and you call for help and search and rescue is going to take a little while to get to you, they can send you a little drone with a snack on it. So but what about water? Because that looks like it's going to dehydrate me. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. So uh, it says uh, it's a nightmare scenario. You're on an ambitious mountain hike when you get lost, injured or stranded. The good news is help is finally on the way. But the bad news is it's going to take time to reach you and you're out of food. That's when a buzzing drone comes in flying for a landing. Not only do you get the snacks, medicine, or water it's carrying, you can eat the wings to tide you over until the rescue team arrives. That would be kind of a fun long-range drone-type project to pilot mm -hmm. this via FPV and see how close you can get it and crash into near somebody who needs help. <laughs> so uh, this is a, a team with the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology has developed a prototype edible drone. The Munchable machine is part of a broader project called RoboFood. RoboFood is about investigating edible robots for humans and robot or and animals as well as foods that behave like robots. Um, <laughs> foods that behave like robots. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> I know. Uh, so the design uses some familiar-looking airplane-like components, but the big difference is that the fixed wing is made from rice cakes and gelatin that together pack 300 calories. Um, it tastes like a crunchy rice crisp cookie with a little touch of raw gelatin. If you're stranded in Hungary, it would probably be delicious. <laughs> so, Especially if you had a nice, uh, cool stream to dip dip them in. <laughs> right. So it says, to make the wings, the researchers trimmed up round rice cakes using a laser cutter and glued them together with gelatin to create a wing structure that could hold up to flight. The rice is strong but lightweight and still reasonably nutritious. The drone would be a one-way proposition, but the partially edible nature means there wouldn't be a lot of debris left behind. So, so pretty cool. Would it, does it increase the amount of birds that go to attack it? <laughs> <laughs> and what if the birds eat, eat, 
eat the <laughs> eat the wings before, before you get there. Exactly. <laughs> oh, or just take they take right. it out of the sky, bring it to their nest, right. have a little snack for a while. It's a possibility. The, the airplane would then have to have like flares that shoot out that are for the birds to follow, little bits of seed or something. Well, there you go. <laughs> Distract them. <laughs> so hey, there's a Peter Shreeple. Yeah, there you go. RC <laughs> airplane made of food. There you go. So this is this is this is fun. So um but yeah, I mean I mean it might it it might help Alex is that Geneva has uh shut down its uh Eagles attacking drones uh as a counter UAS method. So you know, <laughs> I mean at least you won't have to deal with them. <laughs> But still wild animals, uh, never yeah, know, might see food flying in the sky and be like, I'm hungry and want a snack. Right. All right. So uh, next up is an uh, article from Reuters. Um, okay. Let me. Oh. So uh, drone taxi takes first spin in air traffic near Paris. An electric helicopter. Why are they calling it a helicopter? An electric helicopter with multiple rotors. <laughs> so not a helicopter at all. Oh, I mean, can it auto-rotate? Because that's the only reason I would think. I mean, if it can't auto-rotate, then no. So this is the aircraft. And uh, so the Volocopter uh, test aircraft, which resembles a large drone with eight rotors, took off with a passenger on board from... I'm not even going to try and pronounce this. Uh, yes, I am. Pontois. Yeah, okay. Airfield outside Paris and briefly circled around while other aircraft were in the vicinity. Um, German company Volocopter Dirk Hoek said that in the next 18 months, it will prepare its craft for certification. He hopes to launch short commercial flights by 2024 when Paris holds the Summer Olympic Games. Now, I didn't really pick this article because air taxi, cool, whatever. My concern is, is why? I mean, of all the different designs for an air taxi, are we just taking the the actual cabin area of a helicopter and then jamming a bunch of rotors on top of it? I mean, it's a multi-rotor, so it has to tilt to move forward. Now, you know, wouldn't like a sphere be better with like maybe rotating seats to adjust for the tilt or stuff like that like i mean it's a it's a helicopter with eight rotors on it i mean literally it is so they're not i mean we've seen that basically i think with a lot of the like the current designs i think it'll be a while before we see anything much more advanced because it's a lot easier to do this and it's also probably a lot more uh like consumer facing like it's easier for a consumer to be like okay with a like a helicopter cabin than it is for like some rotating sphere thing, you know? They're like, I don't want to get in that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would. I mean, come on, it's a bubble with hel- <laughs> with propellers on top of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Meat says that's a funky looking drone. At least it's got to be more than four rotors. I was wondering about the egg too. It's not even aerodynamically correct for the angle it'll fly at. Very accurate. So, hey, at least I'm I'm in the same meets with me here. So, well, are the <laughs> motors um, being pitched themselves or is it stay or are they fixed? So there's a video of it flying uh, here. Um, the one thing I was 
A little. Oh. No, it's actually tilting. Okay. Yeah. The whole aircraft is tilting. So it's I mean, a, a helicopter tilts too, right? Like, I mean. Yeah, they do. So you're basing yeah, it, it off of what? Yeah. But a helicopter yeah, I feel like rotor also have one pilot and one oh, passenger. Um, you can buy the ticket. Yeah, you, they, they definitely just took the helicopter cockpit, chopped the tail off, and atta attached it to these yeah. <laughs> propellers. Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 a little interesting. So they are one of many different air taxi companies. Uh, I believe uh, Archer is. Um, pushing theirs, and they are setting up shop, I believe, outside of Georgia. Um, and there's a couple others, all with different designs, but they're all fairly close to this, really. Um, but some of them have tilting rotors, uh, uh, more like an Osprey. Uh, but uh, yeah, pretty unique. All right. Uh, okay, so we've got uh, Amazon's new delivery drone slated to start deliveries this year. Hopefully they've put the uh, multitude of crashes behind them uh, at this point. But uh, <laughs> this is the uh, Mark 27. So we've gone through 20 revisions, uh, and this is version 2 of the Mark 27. So um, the drone, so the latest drone model will drop packages from 12 feet in the air. Uh, no parachute. It's just going to drop them. If the drone encounters another aircraft when it's flying, it will fly around the other aircraft. When it gets to its delivery location and your dog runs underneath the drone, we won't deliver the package. So uh, Hendrickson gave uh, CNBC a first look at the drone, the Mark 27-2, on Thursday. She said it will start making deliveries in Lockford, California and College Station, Texas by the end of 2022. Some residents in the small rural town of Lockford ex have expressed concerns about privacy and safety. Amazon insists the drones are safe. We like to refer to the drone as being independently safe, which means that it has the power to make the decision. It saw something that had a heat signature underneath the drone and was able to not deliver a package and return back to the station. But the drones do have an operator in command that is overseeing the entire airspace. So... If you really want to mess with your neighbors who are getting drone deliveries, like throw a hot water bottle in their backyard and they won't get get what they're expecting. Nice. Well, I, I'm wondering with those people who are expressing security concerns or privacy concerns, how many of them have an Echo Dot or an Alexa in their house? Right. It's probably true, right? So, I mean, but uh, yeah, so the drone is five and a half feet in diameter, weighs 80 pounds, and it can only carry packages weighing less than five pounds. We all know that College Station is the home of Texas A&M, right? So, yeah. what what's going on there? I'll just I just want to point out that this is the first company who's gotten five pounds and uh, like seven kilometer round or seven mile round trip. This is what Amazon had been promising for years, mm -hmm. and they had basically died out, and then they still released this drone, which I think is pretty interesting because basically everyone is doing last mile. Everyone is doing smaller packages. Everyone is doing different drone designs. And it's because they don't think this is feasible for long term. So it'll be interesting to see. Because they're also, Amazon also announced the MK30, which is going to yes, be a yeah, bigger yeah. version of the MK27 yeah. too, yeah. which will deliver even bigger packages and go longer ranges. So, like, I don't know. If they can achieve this, again, it'll be something different than everybody else was able to do. And uh, right. I think like, you're on a good financial point because this is a company that just lost one 
trillion dollars in market capitalization yeah. and it's uh, undergoing layoffs so not just uh, in the in the yeah. uh, white dollar area but across the board mm-hmm. i mean i've not seen any financials that show anything has been profitable yet for drone delivery you know i, I think like because it's going to need to be expandable it's going to need to be like there's just an economy of scale that needs to come in that isn't there right and then it needs to be proven that that economy of scale works and like i i don't know maybe it will for amazon but it seems unlikely to me that you're going to be able to deliver five to 10 pound packages at extended ranges, like, and make money on it versus people in trucks for many, many, many years. But I could be wrong and it'll be interesting to see how they do. I mean, the infrastructure to me seems uh, kind of obtuse, right? So depending on how they set this up, is it, you know, is it, does it have to make a round trip per package or does it go one yes. direction, drops a package and then stops close by, picks up another package, goes the other direction, that kind of thing? I mean, that would yeah, seem I mean, like a more efficient way to do things, right? I mean, it depends on, I think, I guess it depends on customer locations, but my understanding of it was to try to get out to customers who are like at the edge of that range. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, yeah, I don't know if there would be another Amazon facility at the, at, at that location. At the other like, end, I think right? Yeah. And if they're trying to deliver a five pound package, you know, you've got one and you can't choose which one to drop. You're dropping it all. Like, I think, you know, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see, yeah, again, how it goes. Um, I kind of hope it works, but the other thing we're going to see, you know, they mentioned it in the MK30 stuff, but we're just going to see more noise and bigger drones in the air. And that'll be interesting to see too, how customer perception is. Cause we've already seen a bunch of complaints from places where they've got these rolled out from different companies where people are complaining about noise. And they're like, I don't want to hear these across my house all the time. And it's just going to be more and more all the time. And people are going to be on the news the local news talking about it. And, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, it'll, it'll be, again, interesting to see how all this kind of rolls out as consumers start to learn about all this. And, like, yeah, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle that have to work for this all yeah. to work out. Yeah, the noise yeah. the noise is a whole area of study because we could say, well, heck, you know, a, a lawnmower is 120 decibels. Come on, you know, you hear a little buzz above you, but it's the frequency of this thing that really disturbs people. It's like people it's also, don't are not so bothered by lawnmowers, but leaf blowers is a whole different story. Yeah, because they're higher pitch, yeah. right? So, and it's also right. it's also an understanding of like that being used to that noise. I think too, like mm-hmm. if you're all the time hearing a leaf blower every Monday when you walk to work, you get less annoyed. I think by the leaf blower you hear all the time because you're just used to hearing it. It doesn't right. piss you off because you're like, ah, oh, that thing again. But until that happens with drones, I think there's going to be a long period where people are just mad and annoyed at those sounds before they get uh, used to that happening. You know, I mean, one of the things that I. I... I would like to see some noise analysis, even even when it comes to the air taxis that we talked about earlier. The video shows it flying and you can slightly hear it. But I want to know how loud that thing is in comparison to a helicopter, to an airplane, that kind of thing. And because that's going to be the biggest issue with public acceptance of this kind of stuff. Right. Is is going to be that intrusion. So, yeah. And the BV loss arc, this was a, a huge, uh, the, this part of the environmental segment was huge. And the, uh, they brought in uh, a group of folks from the FAA who spend a lot of time working with uh, airports on noise, pollution, noise, complaints. And so there's so the NEPA is uh, the whole area and uh, read, found some interesting uh, scholar papers uh, around the world of making uh, you know, as the frequency of being a problem for people, as well as research into propellers and you know bigger motors, slow the uh, slow the props down, change the aerodynamics of the motors or the props, 
So this is an important part. And of course, the thing that we're all extremely worried about is that when local governments or the FAA does a one-size-fits-all regulation and they start saying, oh, drones can only take off and land from these locations. Oh, and by drones, we mean everything from your tiny whoop to something carrying people can now only fly in specific places uh, because of the noise. And then all of a sudden, we can't fly where we want to. The FAA would never (laughs) consider one-size-fits-all. Right. Dripping in sarcasm. I just want to... I always find parallels to cannabis. One of them here is about a year and a half into cannabis legislation, we got a new ordinance for smell. And then it was suddenly a rule, a very arbitrary BS rule, about smell from uh, a reasonable distance to the road. And it was basically up to a discretion of the inspectors when they came out. If they could smell cannabis of your building and they could track it to your building, you could get fined. And like, I just, I definitely feel like this could be a similar thing where like, like how do you judge the decibel rating versus the frequency versus all the different situations? And then you're also in different environments. So you're comparing an urban to a rural environment. And like, like you said, I'm sure there's a lot of studies on this from different things, but airports are where airports are, right? And like, mm-hmm. so there's kind of a difference between that and like, hey, I'm delivering over entire neighborhoods or cities. Like, I don't it's, know. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see. Hostiles so, over time. So it's a it's a pressure impulse. So uh, decibels are uh, a passe whether way to measure this. All right. So, so to, to answer your question, me, it's not a graphic. So the thing hovers and it, it does it. it like Luke, Yukon said, it literally poops out the package. <laughs> Which, like others have pointed out, isn't that different from uh, package delivery now when they throw it at your door anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so if two neighbors order something that are both two and a half pounds each. No, it only will it just deliver below one. Package. Will it deliver one, no, but will it deliver one, one package for both of them no. on the property line? I don't think so. It's like start <laughs> fighting over your packages. Because <laughs> why? Why? Why send the drone out twice to the same spot when you could just yeah, do that? The new Amazon double delivery service. If you sign up for this, you pay a dollar less, and then you might get double delivery with your neighbor, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Only if you have a deed agreement. Uh, yeah. Amazon, the only company that poops out your packages. All right. Sorry. New motto. (laughs) It's better. I mean, Walmart chucks them. I don't know. (laughs) It's literally just like throws it out of the plane. And there's like a parachute that does not work. And it like falls and slams in the ground. You see the little parachute fluttering and it's just like you hear thunk on the ground. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, Zipline. Uh, and earlier uh, somebody said uh, Zipline. Yeah, uh, that were uh, demonstrated scale with medical deliveries in Africa. And, and uh, uh, Zipline is one of the companies that Walmart uses and they do use the parachute. They use a fixed wing system, yeah. however, uh, as opposed to a multi-rotor. So. Um, all right, so uh, this is from Hackaday. Uh, this is interesting. So um, oh, let me share the article. All right, so Clever Control Loop makes a spinning drone fault tolerant. So most multi-rotor aircraft are about as aerodynamic as a brick. I, I'm pretty sure we can all kind of attest to that. Unless all its motors are turning and the control electronics are doing their thing, most UAVs are quickly destined to become unmanned ground vehicles uh, and gen- in generally spectacular fashion. Uh, but by switching up things a bit, it's possible to make a multi-rotor drone that keeps on flying even without two-thirds of its motors running. 
so this is Nick Rim, uh, his spinning drone, which basically eschews a rigid airframe for a set of three airfoils joined to a central hub. The collective pitch of the blades can be controlled via a servo in the hub, and the whole thing can be made to rotate and provide lift thanks to the thrust of the tip-mounted motors and props. We've seen Nick manage to get this contraption airborne, and hovering is pretty straightforward. Um, the video below, which I'm not going to go into, um, covers the next step, getting pitch, roll, and yaw control over the spinning blades of doom. The problem isn't trivial. First, Nick had to decide what the front of the spinning aircraft even means. Through the clever use of LED strips mounted to the airfoils and some point-of-view magic, he was able to visually indicate a reference axis. From there, he was able to come up with a scheme to vary the power of each motor as it moves relative to the reference axis, modulating it in either a sine or cosine function to achieve roll and pitch control. This basically imitates the cyclic pitch of a control of a classic helicopter, a sort of virtual swashplate. Um, the whole thing spins at about 250 rotations per minute, um, but he uh, can kill up to one or one or two of the motors, and it's still controllable enough for a bumpy but safe landing. So a little bit of uh, over-engineering for the sake of uh, learning, I imagine, <laughs> but... Uh... Pretty unique. He had to be the only one on his block. You know, <laughs> had to be different. I, I think there. I, I'll be interested to see if there are any applications for this because I think like he shows like the loitering efficiency is like three times what a normal drone would be. Mm-hmm. So, but it has to spin to loiter at that efficiency. So the question is like, what can you do loitering spinning like that's useful? Like, are there situations where that would be useful? And then you can fly in forward flight with flight with the wings, and you get pretty efficient forward flight as well. Mm-hmm. Like, one thing I was thinking about was LiDAR scanning, right? Because you've got to spin anyway you for LiDAR. you got to spin it anyway, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so maybe there's, like, maybe while you're doing LiDAR spinning, it's more efficient to do, I don't know, stuff like that. But I wonder if there are, like, applications where this could actually be useful. Could like, be like Wi-Fi a, beacons, maybe? Right, a cell phone repeater, Wi-Fi repeater or something. Yeah, yeah like yeah. at a hurricane or something, and you had yeah. to, like, just have it sit there or something. Or, yeah, yeah, post after surveillance. Yeah. Undo the undo the spin well, on the ground. Yeah, it's hard to do surveillance if your camera's spinning, but you could probably mm-hmm. correct for just that. Just a fast gimbal that 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 operates yeah. in the opposite direction, right? Yeah, maybe well, some kind of like gimbal center, with a bearing. Isn't there a center part that does stay still, or is the whole, the whole or is there thing nothing? The, the whole thing currently. But you could probably yeah, design the whole thing spins. You could design something to counter rotate. All right, let's see if the video. Yeah. Will play here. This weird-looking drone is about to have a motor. Oop. We're getting your uh, laggy video like we normally do. Yeah, super. Which is all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, feel free Look, to check it out in the article. Yeah. One test I want to see of that thing is with it in forward flight, how long it takes to react with a motor outage. Like one of the motors go out and in forward flight to then go back into hovering with the spinning. Mm-hmm. I right. think that'd be a cool test to see like how a, that works. Like a fail safe. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing, yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's see. And last article I've got, and thanks for bearing with me through all of these. Uh, so, a passenger plane in the UK is saying it came within ten feet of crashing into a drone and it near miss at sixteen thousand feet. Um. So it says an easy jet flight had a near miss with an unidentified flying object. The pilot said the plane missed the unmanned flying object by around 10 feet. Um, A report by the UK APROX board said the object was likely a drone. 
couldn't have been a bad. Likely, huh? So let's see. Sixteen thousand feet cruising uh, velocity, four hundred to five hundred knots uh, per hour, and single loop. Oh yeah, that was a drone. <laughs> you give a second look at it, right? So the pilot of the Airbus A320, which was flying from London Gatwick to Rhodes in Greece, described the object as as black and cylindrical, and said it passed within ten feet of the aircraft per the report report released last week. The board rated the incident as Category A, meaning there was a risk of collision and said that the object was likely to be a drone. Uh, In the board's opinion, the reported altitude and or description of the object were sufficient to indicate that it could have been a drone. Uh, The National Air Traffic Services investigation report said the pilot first reported the incident over radio during the flight. Uh, Going through FL-160, we just very uh, nearly just hit a drone. We're talking less than 10 feet. We don't think we hit it. There was a bit of a thud. We'll come back to you. After landing the the flight, the pilot confirmed the plane had not made contact with the drone, and the thud likely came from the cabin per the report. <laughs> what? This is just a nothing <laughs> article. They, why even uh, call it a drone? If and Just say it's unidentified <laughs> until it's identified. Right. UFO. <laughs> And unless you're drone, trying to make a point that you're anti-drone. Yeah, exactly. That's how they think. Nah, I feel like that's how they think about it. It's like everything that they don't know is a drone. You know. Well, Gatwick yeah. is, is, want... is traumatized. So I mean, they didn't want to do a write-up about that thud in the cockpit of an A320. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the co-pilot must just have, passing must out. Have, must have been a drone. <laughs> Who else was in this flight deck? Yeah. All right. So saying someone in the chat saying it it was a goose. Yeah. There was a video I just saw of a airplane sucking in three geese. Uh, I think think that was just up here, like in uh, uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, or somewhere Minnesota, North Dakota area. Yeah. They like zoomed in on it, and all of a sudden, this big military airplane just sucked three geese right through its engines and kept flying. No big deal. All right, uh, that's about all I have uh, for articles tonight. Um, I do want to say, you know, uh, we've all heard about it at this point, the uh, collision at the air show in Fort Worth. Um, Obviously, that was tragic. Um, So our hearts go out to, you know, the families of those folks. But um, definitely a bad deal. I don't want to play the video. It's it's pretty bad. Uh, I'm sure most people have seen it at this point. But, uh, yeah, so do want to mention that um so yeah anyway yeah, I, think, uh, I think it's right to, right to mention that the uh, commemorative uh, air force uh, been out of the uh, south of the united states uh, for decades they're an amazing group of pilots and mechanics mm-hmm. most of them retired uh, military a chance to see them in uh, um in texas and mm-hmm. uh saw a uh, for you, Corsair flying a P-51 Mustang, many uh, AT-6 Texans, uh, P-38, uh, as well as a B-17. And so an amazing group of people and uh, really a sad loss of uh, six lives. And it does point out how important situational awareness is. And if you're flying something with huge blind spots, like you can literally not see a gigantic airplane because... That's how, you know, you've got, you're flying something with a wing there and you're, and it's blocking such a big part of the sky. You can't see another gigantic airplane. Yeah. So, 
anyway, I uh, just wanted to leave it at that. So, um, Dave, what do you got for us tonight? Uh, things are cranking. We've got uh, uh, we're participating in uh, TG15, which uh, I was uh, a little incredulous about, but I think it's going to be great. And what's um, TG15? There's the two new ones are 14 and 15, right? Correct. And so this is the A, uh, okay, AAAC or the uh, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee Tasking Group 15, which has to do with uh, ramping up uh, drone uh, in an in, in a sub industry or in an industry. How do you work with the uh, with the public or with the the local community? And so we've uh, a good discussion about well, we should also be worried about internal communities. And so the uh, uh, one of the co-chairs, uh, Mike Leo, is from FDNY. And as he said, you know, uh, FDNY is an 11,000-person uh, fire department. So when you have a 17 full-time drone pilots, you need to have good awareness for other firefighters of what you're doing. So the community is within your own community, as well as the general public that need to be educated and understand that this is a positive thing, as well as the community of other uh, fire departments across the country. So it's uh, it, this whole group is gaining uh, momentum, and I, I, it could be really good. And they are uh, incorporating recreational as one of the uh, industries that uh, uh, that want to be uh, considered in terms of how do you ramp up and how do you get uh, that notion of uh, drones for good as well as education. And so that a one's a very, tasking very group that's going that. to talk about recreational drone operations. What? Yeah, and the, and the person, yeah, and the person who brought it up is uh, James Bert, uh, Ryan Burgess, the CEO of Google Wing. So our thanks to uh, to James for uh, uh, starting that off for us, and uh, really appreciate that. TG fifteen starts on uh, our part. Uh, TG fourteen starts on um, eleven twenty nine or November uh, twenty nine November, and that's uh, about what can industry do to accelerate the promulgation of BV loss regulations. So that's, uh, that, that. we'll see where that goes. Uh, that, I think that one could be very, very productive. Uh, as uh, we've said, Dan and I participated in the BV loss arc. There was a long section about this is what could be done to get BV loss going quickly. So I'm sure that we will focus on that. Uh, we're also... Uh, so this reminds have, me of like, if you're in a meeting and you make a suggestion, like, hey, what if somebody did this? Hey, thanks for volunteering for doing what you just suggested needs to get done. So the BV loss arc suggested yeah, here's some things idea. that need to be could done. Ever, now they've been volunteered by the FAA to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I have. I have. Uh, I have had that been the recipient of that action item. Um, <laughs> drone safety team. Uh, we've uh, uh, we've written. We've finished the uh, narrative report and uh, done a presentation, and so we're. Uh, this is on uh, how do we uh, alter to or improve the uh, uh, UAS ASRS, Unmanned Aerial uh, Systems, Aviation Safety Reporting System. So there is uh, a, uh, a voluntary incident reporting system for manned or crewed aircraft, ASRS, and there is a, a UAS uh, counterpart or UAS ASRS for great naming purposes, run by NASA, paid for by the FAA. So the drone safety team, uh, I, I led a uh, uh, ad hoc committee to uh, make, make some recommendations, and that's wrapping up. 
Let's see what else we got cooking. Did you want to mention AMA getting uh, their CDO? I think people are wondering about it. They've heard that maybe the AMA has become the first CBO and they're wondering where we are at with our application. Yeah, I haven't, have not heard a word. Um, did you check your and, spam folder, um, Dave? I did. I did. I honestly did. Checked. I did check my spam oh, folder, no. junk mail. I did. Um, uh, just in, just in case. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the uh, we submitted that we were number two. AMA was uh, number one, and uh, they have probably ten or eleven documents that span their uh, safety guidelines. So it's uh, uh, pretty uh, extensive. Uh, the the various um, uh, the amount of guidelines that they have uh, signed up and committed uh, their members and their member chartered clubs to put in place and to police. So that's uh, got us a bit disturbed reading the uh, advisory circular 91-57C. And yeah, people are there's... saying, oh, see, so we're next, right? Well, we have no idea. I would just assume yeah. the FAA has a small team of people working on this, and it sort of probably mm -hmm. depends who's assigned to each CBO's uh, application and how many guidelines they have to look at and who they have to consult with. and. Lots of things. That would be my that would be my bet as well. What stands out in their guidelines? Uh, in in the AMAs or in the, in the, the AMA FAA? guidelines? Uh, one of the five separate documents on FPV. Uh, it also that they have signed up for uh, uh, that you have to have lights, uh, uh, visibility lights uh, to fly at night. Uh, for, uh, can be seen for three statute miles. So a number of the uh, elements that the AC 5157C uh, um, put forward, which were really making uh, recreational a, a mini part 107, are absolutely in the AMA uh, safety guidelines. And I'm sure your uh, tiny whoop or, or a little toothpick will love to have a three nautical mile LED flashing on it and fly great when mm -hmm. you put that on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here's the here's the important part about that, uh, guys, is that the regulations for recreational state nothing of requiring uh, any kind yeah. of uh, lights on a recreational aircraft. That is strictly a Part 107 regulation. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that in order to become a CBO, that we're basically being asked by the FAA to regulate via advisory circular is gross and obtuse so um it's it's a little bit ridiculous there's a lot of stuff in there that we're just like mm, not so sure we'll, about this yeah we'll we'll uh when we get uh, our response i anticipate that our response will not be a way to go if pvfc you're you're in i anticipate the response uh at least at least one pass will be eh, you know, to add a little more uh, material to this safety guidelines and uh, we'll take it apart and see uh, what's reasonable and what's not reasonable, and you know we'll we'll try to uh, uh, have a common sense approach uh, to it. I, I've needed yeah. to walk away from this uh, for about a day because <laughs> I was pretty incensed with uh, uh, some of what's uh, going on. You're not the only one. Free it operates <laughs> like a 107 seems now. Yeah, yeah. Is there a term well. for? Like what you call, I don't know if there's actually a term. It feels like there should be for like roundabout legislation. 
where like you know where they're basically like asking us to make rules that they don't want to make you know like yeah. i feel like there's got to be like a term for that Overreach? Yeah, the, end, the end the end run well, yeah yeah and run there you yeah. go that's a good way to put it yeah. Yeah. that's what it feels yeah. like it's like yeah. it's like hey we don't want to make uh you know we don't want to do this stuff so instead we're gonna like suggest very heavily over and over again through documents and suggestions that you should make sure that you do right. these rules so like yeah. mafia right. ta of, tactics right. protection yeah, so the, money? Part, yeah. the part of the rules yeah the part of the rule that really uh incenses me is they are pressing on uh the, the cbo uh, being responsible for enforcement and so not only are they looking for an extension of 44809, the recreational exception to part 107, but they're also uh, asking us, you know, so it's not just make up additional rules off the cuff. They're looking for the CBO to be responsible for enforcement as well. well. It starts to make um, sense if you think about it as a CBO is an organization that runs a FRIA. Everybody flies their drones and aircraft at this FRIA with the guidance of employees of the CBO. So if there's an accident there, there's an employee of the CBO there that you report it to and all that kind of stuff, like, right? It, it's this... not at all like what we imagine a CBO as we've got people all spread out through the country flying in their backyards. Mm -hmm. right. There's not how were written up or presented either. And it's yeah. like, I mean, there, there's just a whole bunch of problems there, right? Because it's two different yeah. sides of like the way, like you can't have, I don't know. Hey, you've got one side saying this, and then the other side doesn't present that as being the requirement at all. So, we're I don't know. It's difficult. Well, and the yeah. difference is 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 generational too. So, I mean, you've got the AMA, and their their idea of a CBO is exactly what Dan stated, right? It's you know a bunch of people at a field, but the new generation of CBO is is kind of like remote work, right? It's everybody everywhere. And so, you know, we're, we're a group of people that fly everywhere mm -hmm. and not just in a field. So yeah. and, it doesn't and work the, the same and, way. And the issue is that we're about close on to 10 times the size of uh, the AMA population. So this is you know, so for a, a you know, in, uh, a set of uh, old white guys that uh, uh, are flying at fixed flying fields, uh, that are one tenth the size of uh, recreational UAS, it, you know, it can work. But but even the enforcement part is really tricky. I mean, that's that's not doable. And I, I'm an I, I I'm an AMA member. I fly at three different clubs. You know, enforcement not possible. Yeah, I mean, yes. you know, not unless yeah. you're you know, it, unless it's unless an, an egregious. Um, yeah, unless it's egregious flying your right. you know intentionally flying your you know, model airplane, you know, into someone's car. Right. But I'm I mean, sure that's, that's happened the... before. It's happened. I've no accidentally it's happened at races. Well, I mean, my that's car. Oh, it's like, <laughs> that's I mean, what insurance is for. Here's the, here's the, here's the in, in, end all be all right. Is that, you know, we can, FPV has always been relatively self-policing right don't do stupid stuff don't hurt people that kind of thing and because right. we don't want the to get a hammer well and well we don't want things that happen to damage the reputation and cause more regulation and i mean that's the the great fear right so you know we've always been relatively self-policing and people you know i will i will attest for 99.9 percent .9 of 
all all the population of flyers out there and operators is that we don't do stupid stuff. You know, we may do some some cool stuff or some relatively risk risky stuff, but at the same time, nobody's out there seeking to hurt people or property. It's just, you know, looking for that shot. It's like skateboarding, right? We're not, you know, people aren't the I'm not a skateboarder, but people aren't out there really trying to damage things or hurt people. They're just trying to, you know, enjoy life and have fun. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I just want to point out, uh, Meat dropped an article on a, a drone shooting. Has anybody to this point heard of the FAA prosecuting the shooting down of a drone? I've heard a lot of fighting about it, but no, I haven't seen it been prosecuted. Okay, not, not the... I'm trying to think if it was the FAA. I know there were some currently going through, but none decisions. Yeah, I, I remember curious, when... like six or eight months ago, but I, I don't okay. know. Yeah, that was one where uh, it was a sheriff's. You know, I mean, it was you know it was a pretty pretty cut and dry case where someone shot down the sheriff's drone. It was like, are you kidding? <laughs> well, I'm just curious when you know, like, I mean, not that I I I hope it doesn't yeah. become an issue, but. I mean, here's the thing is, when are they going to stand up and enforce their rules? I mean, as uh, you know, we're going to start having to push. Well, I mean, well, we're going to have to start putting remote ID on our drones. And that's going to make us uh, very apparent to the general public who may not appreciate drones. It's going to be a problem. So, oh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think. Alert uh, from calendar. Exacerbate the current Replace for a nice filter. Of, uh, drone pilots being assaulted. Mm-hmm. Well, the the yeah, one I mean, that's happening is, now, the the one side that there still is though is the FA is not very good at communicating out to the general public about stuff. So maybe those people won't even know remote ID exists and know to look for it. But I mean, that's not the greatest chance. But it's no, still something. I mean, well, the it, difference, the, the realistic. I mean, the the world here is that if the local law enforcement gets training on it, and then somebody calls the police about a drone, then they have some kind yeah. of recourse to figure out what's going on. Like that, that would be where my head would be at. Mm-hmm. Like, because uh, otherwise, it's not like most people are not going to have any clue about it, how to use it, what the app is, or anything. Like, unless there's some kind of like, you know, unless the view has an, uh, a ser- a segment about like how to install the drone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like unless somebody picks up that in like major media. Like you're not going to see that proliferate into people, yeah. and instead you're going to see the result of that of that like come out. So the Karens now have a call to make, and then somebody can follow up on the call instead of just going whatever or showing up, up at the park and then asking the guy what he's doing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's the difference I see. Is if this goes through and there's training and education and there's enforcement by local law enforcement, then there can be a different response when a person calls the same way they normally would that, yeah, that's i wonder only, if that's to me the change right if this is something we can help the faa in any way like so this drone was shot down the faa does do something about it can we amplify that information and get it out there so that more people know that yes the faa did do something about this because an aircraft was shot down assuming they did something for. that's why i was asking you know because i want to know i want to push that out because you know, like Meat said, I've definitely, he says, uh, I've definitely heard more than once that people think it's okay to shoot at drones mm-hmm. over the property. Mm-hmm. You see that all the time. And lots of people I know are surprised when I tell them that they can't. Yeah, exactly. So that's a problem. And I want to be like, here, see, somebody got made an example of, you know, don't be someone, don't be Bob. Bob got 
thrown in jail for shooting at a drone. I mean, that kind of thing. So, anywho, I think it, Dan, I think you're on a good point. And uh, I started this, uh, and I try to be uh, generally positive. Uh, struggling with the uh, uh, with the CBO situation, we hope to be a CBO. We will uh, we'll, we will give it a college try, and uh, uh, we'll help uh, anyone uh, anyone else uh, submitting applications for. Uh, a CBO in as much as uh, uh, we, we have a, a very good uh, understanding of the regulations, not just uh, 44809, but part 107 as well. And here's here's the important part about this, guys, is the AMA has how many how many documents did you say, Dave? 12? Yeah, it's it's a it's a bunch. OK, so anybody who's listening, what are the chances that you're going to remember 12 pages worth of rules? Safety guidelines. So, about yeah. yeah, 12, 12. Barely remember the eight bullet points from the uh, 44809. <laughs> all right. All right. That, that's all you're going to remember. And and here's the thing is, you know, we want to make it as easy as possible to say, here's the FPVFC's rule set. Go out, have fun, enjoy yourself. And, yeah. and, 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 and we want to reflect 44809. This is what the statute mm-hmm. is. This is, yeah, exactly. you know, some common sense additions. And outside of guidelines, you know, Additional common sense things that that can help: battery knowledge, tips on flying in the cold, propeller safety. Do not have to be part of pre-flight and post-flight. And so, are we saying we're if predict- you don't follow, you're ejected? We're predicting some headbutting between us and the FAA on the CBO and the safety guidelines. Yes. Yep. I mean, if I'm involved, I, yes. Yes, <laughs> I do anticipate that. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, because we could go. We could go two different ways. We could try to do what the AMA did, give them exactly what they want—a million safety guidelines—so we can make some frias. Or we can try to headbutt the FAA and say, "No, really, there's no point in these these lights for flying at night under these circumstances. We want simpler rules. We want this, this, and this." And we either might not become a CBO, or it may take a year. Right. Well, I would rather yeah. it take some time and and make sure it works for the community than anything else and so i mean that's where my head's at and obviously i'm just talking off the cuff but you know we've not discussed this before go ahead alex i was gonna say the one other thing that it that does that is dependent on time though is currently the ma has a monopoly on being a cbo correct which means that now everyone at this time has to follow the AMA guidelines if they're flying recreationally since they have to follow a CBO set of guidelines. So everyone, all recreational flights at this moment have to be under AMA for the time being. So technically that started today. Yes, as soon as they got their approval. So Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, Alex. We are on a time crunch, but well, again, yeah. at the same time. We want to make sure it's right for the community. So what yes. really happened was lots and lots more people are flying uh, against the rules or um, not in accordance with the current regulations. Way more mass non-compliance starting today. <laughs> okay. So to, to Meet's point, uh, where it says, I think fighting to keep the rules minimal and sensible is more important than making free is right away. Certainly from our position, in as much as FRIAs uh, are not required tomorrow afternoon, uh, that, that's a sensible view. And as, uh, as Josh said, you know, we've not had, a, not had an opportunity to huddle as, uh, as a team on this. And, uh, 
and hash it out. But uh, I think that's the uh, the sense of it is that we want to try to achieve a result that is uh, not um, simply oh let's just write up a book and then everyone will be happy and it'll be incomprehensible and no one will follow it. That's not where we want to end, have this end up. Yeah. So nothing from the. Yeah, so I mean, that's the thing is like, I would like to say, you know, the FAA press federal charges, right? Not just state and local. Like, I, I mean, firing a, a gun in, you know, a populated area is a, in most places. In fact, I think all places, you know, a, a local crime. But uh, I just want to see, you know, so and so went to federal jail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, to uh, KBS Ken's point, personally, I don't see what more, if anything, needed to be uh, added to forty-four eight hundred nine. Uh, would like um, uh, night flight with some rules probably makes some sense. Something to allow uh, operations over people, and certainly limited BB loss are things that we really would love to see an augmented or uh, added forty-four eight hundred nine. I think he's he's talking in terms of rules for CBO. Like our safety no, guidelines should go in above and beyond. We'll be busy. This is going to be a busy uh, a busy time. So, oh, did we lose Dave again? No, his video did freeze for a while. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Alex, you got anything for us, real quick? Uh, not that I can recall off the top of my head. Bye, Dave. <laughs> His time's up. Nope. All right, Dan. No, I just wanted to make sure we talked about the the CBO stuff and that our current status is we haven't heard anything from the FAA. Dave even checked a spam folder. (laughs) There was nothing there. Check drone zone yet. (laughs) And as soon as we find out something, I'm sure we'll post it in Discord and on our Facebook. Current status is no status. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, somebody's thinking about it, right? So we're taking up space in somebody's head. So we're somewhere between go. rubber stamp and easy and uh, so obviously not in compliance that they just rejected it immediately. <laughs> right? So we're somewhere <laughs> in between that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm thinking this is uh, this is like a, uh, a population or populate the uh, the article, you know, oh, check, 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 check. And it fills in a form. Right. We'll see. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Great discussion. Um, appreciate the uh, the chat. Uh, everybody was super uh, involved, and uh, especially me. Always going to shout out me because he's <laughs> he's always got something to say, and and we love it. So um, we will be back. Uh, goodness, where are we at here? I think we'll be uh, back in two weeks. Yeah, because we're going to skip so. skip Thanksgiving, which wasn't was not one of our weeks anyway. Yeah. yeah. So. I think yeah. we'll be I think we'll be good. So we'll see you guys uh in two weeks and uh and hopefully we're uh, a CBO by then. <laughs> yeah, hey, there you go. Maybe we'll, we'll let you know. That. Or maybe they'll wait until December 30th because they really like that date. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. yeah, All right, guys. Uh take it easy. Have a great night. All see right. ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.